Good morning, church. So good to see you on this uh, beautiful June afternoon. I know we've got some visitors here as well. Thank you for choosing Open Door. It means a lot that you've come to uh, worship with us. I want to encourage everyone to uh, grab one of these books we're going to do for this summer, our summer reading club. We're going to do a great book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's called Life Together. This is a super easy read. It's uh, 122 pages, but one of the best studies on Christian fellowship that you'll ever read. If you don't know anything about Bonhoeffer, then uh, you'll be blessed to get to know him a little bit more as well. So uh, you can grab a book today, sign up in the welcome area back there. And then uh, what we're going to do this summer is four Sunday evenings uh, they'll be scheduled and we'll let you know, uh, you can come here and we'll have a discussion so you can have a little time, discuss what you're reading and work through it. So super encouraged by that life together. I hope you will, uh, to join in on the Bible study, uh, the, the summer reading also be praying this week. Um, some of our elders and leaders are already in Anaheim. I'll be traveling tomorrow morning for the SBC. And that uh, meeting will start Monday and carry through Wednesday. Uh, always important time for the churches that we cooperate with to gather. And uh, a lot of uh, important meetings will take place for the next few days. Just be praying that God will be present through that. And word of advice, be careful what you hear on the news. Not like any news would ever be wrong or anything like that. Not like any news would be biased. Not like anyone who reports news would have maybe, you know, some biased take on things. That I know that would never happen. Uh, well, when it comes to the SBC, at times you do get a lot of that. Let me encourage you by this. 10,000 uh, messengers representing 40,000 churches will gather in Anaheim. And 99% of those who will gather uh, church leaders, pastors representing the churches are God-fearing, Bible-loving, gospel-driven people and healthy churches. And, and, and that, that's the unheard 99%. Uh, so the silent majority are really excited about what God's doing through our cooperation together and Open Doors, one of those churches. So be encouraged and we'll look forward to giving a good report uh, when we return. Also, very important news, uh, you don't have to listen to me for the rest of the summer. I'm going to start my sabbatical next Sunday. I'll be gone uh, for a few weeks, and um, uh, we're going to be starting next Sunday. We'll finish the Genesis study. Then we're going to start a, a summer series called The Devoted Christian Life, devotion to church and what does it mean to, to be devoted to Christ. We've got several preachers, and you're going to really enjoy uh, the study this summer, and so please do that while I'm away. If you would please pray for me for three things. Uh, first of all, that I will be able to finish a um, writing project that uh, I need to complete. It's a devotional Bible that I'm working on and, and I wanna get that done or at least mostly done uh, by this summer. I'm writing this with you in mind, so just know that, I'll be thinking about you and, and uh, other churches that we cooperate with as I, I do this project. Number one, number two, uh, Kay and I will be serving some of our church plants this summer, so I'll have a chance to go and serve them, preach in their churches, and so pray that we would be just good servants of those churches. And then uh, finally, that there'll just be some time for some recuperation and rest. Uh, I need that, and just pray that there'll be some restoration so uh, when you get back in August, hit the ground running. We got a really exciting fall plan, so can't wait. So I will miss you, but we'll be watching uh, on the live stream and, and uh, giving uh, online, and, and look forward to seeing you in a few weeks. All right, Genesis chapter 46. Genesis 46, fishing up our study in this foundational book of the Bible. It's not how you start your life, it's how you end your life. 
is one of the important lessons that we see in Genesis. It's not how you begin, it's how you end. Uh, Ken and I love watching sports. We used to play them, now we watch them. And this time of year is super exciting because you've got the NBA Finals and the NHL Finals and College World Series. And, and often, if you're a sports fan like we are, uh, things will go down to game seven, right? You, you, you go into that last game, sometimes you'll go down to the last quarter or the last period of the last game to see who is going to win. And in that moment, right, in those last minutes, nothing else matters. Wins, losses prior to that doesn't matter. What matters is how you end. What matters is how you finish. And that really is a statement that would be true according to the scriptures, what matters to God is not necessarily how you begin your life, but how you end your life. And I hope because that matters to God, that that matters to you. Now, this morning, there's two really important doctrinal concepts that I'm going to need for you to understand. The first is sovereignty, and the second is perseverance, right? The first is sovereignty, and the second is Perseverance. Now, let me tell you what sovereignty is. Sovereignty means that God has every single thing that happens, it is planned and ordained by God. That would be both good things and bad things. Nothing falls outside of God's control. That's sovereignty. Another way to say it is God is absolutely in control and is sovereign or has authority over every single thing that happens. And for those that God claims to be his, he works out all things for your good according to his plan, both the bad things that happen in your life and the good things that happen in your life. So that's sovereignty. That's going to be a really important concept. The second thing, the second concept is perseverance. And what does perseverance mean? Well, it means that if you belong to God, you will endure in your faith until the end. And at the end, God will complete you or perfect you. And that will happen in heaven. So he who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Once God begins a work in your life, he makes sure. Why? Because he's sovereign and he's in control of all things. He makes sure your life goes exactly according to his plan and that you, in the end, will be completed. Now, it's not necessarily how you begin then, but how you end, how you finish, that's what matters to God. And so we are supposed to be trusting in a sovereign God for all things, believing God has a good plan for our lives, and we will then experience the persevering grace of God as we live. So my question to you today is, how's that going? How well are you enduring? How's the perseverance going? And some of you might say it's going great. Others might say it's, it's really miserable. I'm really struggling right now, just persevering or enduring in my faith. All right, well then, we've got good news today. We're going to look at how Joseph and Jacob end their lives to show the persevering grace of God. And here's the point. Our love for God and our submission to his sovereignty will give us enduring grace. Let me say that again. Our love for God, our submission to his sovereignty will give us, allow us to experience enduring grace. Now we're going to see this in chapter 46 as Israel sets out with all that he had and he comes to a place called Beersheba. What a journey we've been on in our study in Genesis. Now we've covered since Adam well over 2,000 years. Moses has written this amazing book that's taken us from a good creation to a tragic fall to God now redeeming his people by way of covenant promise. And that covenant promise is seen early on when Adam and Eve fall in the garden and God is cursing them and cursing his creation because of sin. And yet as God is cursing creation, he says to Eve, but Eve, 
you will bear a seed, and one day that seed will crush the head of another seed, the seed of the serpent, and, and the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent, telling us now there are two types of peoples from that point forward, and there is a special people, the people of God, from the seed of the woman that will persevere. They will endure. And we see that now taking place. And God makes a covenant with the seed of the woman and her posterity. And he promises them, because of his agreement with them, he promises them four things. The first thing is he promises them people. The second thing is he promises them what? Anybody know? Possessions. The third is what? Protection and the fourth is preservation. These are the promises of God's covenant. I'm going to make you a great nation or many nations. I'm going to give you a land. You will enjoy those possessions. I will protect you. I will be with you. I will be your God and you're going to make it to the end. These are the covenant promises. And we see these covenant promises being played out in the book of Genesis. These will be important as we continue on our study in the Bible. Now, the other thing that we've seen in the book of Genesis is all of these figures, these people who give us a glimpse of something greater to come. A righteous person who gives us a glimpse of a greater righteous person, a better righteous person who is Jesus to come. And so we see that as early as Abel, who offers the better sacrifice than did Cain. Abel displays righteousness. We see that with, with Noah, who was righteous, and he proclaimed his faith in God despite an entire world that was wicked. We saw that with Abraham, who was righteous, and who left everything in order to go to a land that he did not know, a land that was promised to him. He even was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac because he trusted in God. There was Isaac who we saw as being righteous. And Isaac didn't want to build for himself a kingdom or an empire. No, Isaac built altars and he called upon the name of the Lord. And then we saw Jacob who was righteous Following the righteousness of his father and his grandfather, Jacob was willing to contend with God in order to receive the blessing from the Lord. And finally, now Joseph we see as being righteous, though suffering greatly. Joseph was willing to be used by God to save God's people. And now we're at the point of the story where Jacob and his family have to move out of the promised land, and they have to move now down to Egypt in order to survive the great famine. And Israel set out with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba, and there he offered sacrifices to God, the God of his father Isaac. And that night God spoke to Israel in a vision, saying, Jacob, Jacob, and Jacob replied and said, Here I am, and God said, I am God the God of your father. Now do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt and I'll bring you back. Joseph will close your eyes when you die. So now, oh Jacob, who's way on in his years, doesn't have many years left to live. He found himself having to leave the promised land. And as he's leaving the promised land, he ends up in the very southern border of Canaan in, land, in an area called Beersheba. This was a very important place for Jacob because it was there that grandfather Abraham bought a well in order to uh, provide water for his livestock. Later, his dad Isaac would contend with King Abimelech about that very well and claim it. And now there's Beersheba. And there was a day, you see, when Jacob, who didn't really start well, remember it's not so much how you start but how you end, Jacob started by betraying his father and lying to his father and deceiving him by conniving against Esau, stealing the birthright and the blessing to which he had to flee for his life. As he's fleeing for his life, he finds himself there near Beersheba. And he decides to use a pillow 
a rock for a pillow that night. He's having this dream, and he gets a, he this dream. He sees a stairway ascending from the earth to heaven, and he meets the angel of the Lord. He receives the blessing of the Lord. God spoke to him, and Jacob began to believe there. Well, again, now he's in Beersheba, that place where he met God, and now Jacob, who is now Israel in his old age, he offers sacrifices to the Lord. He calls upon the name of the Lord, which is, by the way, that's the key distinguishing characteristic between the covenant people of God and those who are not, between those who are the seed of the woman and those who are not, where everybody else is trying to build an empire for themselves. God's people build altars, and they call upon the name of the Lord. And here is Jacob, and he's offering sacrifices to God. And that night, again in a vision, God meets him. And calls him by name. And Jacob responds and God says, it's okay, Jacob. I know you're leaving the promised land. I know you're leaving the land that belonged to Abraham and Isaac. I know you got to go down to Egypt and place yourself in submission to Pharaoh. I know you've got to go, but it's okay. He says, I'm going to keep my covenant promises with you. I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you. I love that. When you are asked to go to those really difficult places, God will be with you. He's a good shepherd. Even if you have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord promises, I'll be there with you. And he, and he promises Jacob that he'll finally meet his son Joseph. And when he dies, it will be Joseph there to close his eyes. And so Jacob left Beersheba. And the sons of Israel took their father Jacob and the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him along with their dependents and their wives. And they took the cattle and the possessions, all that they had acquired in the land of Canaan. And Jacob and all of his offspring then finally made their way all the way down to Egypt. Sons, grandsons, daughters, granddaughters, all the offspring, everything went. Strengthened by the Lord in Beersheba, Jacob realized it's time to go. And so he sets his face south, out of the promised land, down to Egypt. And then Moses records the genealogy of Jacob's family, his sons and their sons, grandsons, and he gives this list. And in verse 26, uh, the total number of persons that belonged to Jacob, his direct descendants, not including the wives of Jacob's sons who, who came from Egypt, there were 66 including Joseph, his family, including two sons, that equals 70. And so now Moses records, started with just Abraham and then just Isaac and then and his kids. And, 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 and now we've got Jacob and his sons, which are 12 plus their sons. And now we see this, this growing nation, right? 70 people the people of God are beginning to take shape. So they're getting closer to Egypt. And when they get just right on the border, verse 28, Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to prepare for his arrival at Goshen. And when they came to the land of Goshen, Joseph hitched the horses to his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. And now why Judah, if you've been watching or following along with us, you know that Judah has become the leader of the family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, all older brothers, they all lost their authority. Uh, they did not finish well. Now remember, I'm talking about finishing well. Not everybody does. So these three did not finish well, but Judah did. As a matter of fact, Judah also went from a very poor start where he sold his brother Joseph into slavery. Judah, who's the one who literally turned his daughter-in-law into a prostitute and then wanted to condemn her and kill her. But then he repented and he changed to the point where eventually Judah becomes this, this person where he's willing to, to offer his, his hello, uh, one of our leaders might come, uh, Peter, come on up here. Would you, would you do me a favor? Take this uh, sweet young lady. Maybe she wants to pray or share something, and if you don't mind. Thank you so much. 
We want to minister to you in any way we can. Thank you, Peter. And, and, uh, and, and so Judah, who has this, this conversion, and now he is even willing to offer himself as a substitute for Benjamin. And so he's now recognizing Jacob sends Judah ahead of him to prepare for Joseph's, uh, for their arrival. And uh, when Joseph learns that they finally make it to Goshen, he cannot wait because he has not seen his father. It has been 20 years. And his father thought he was dead. And now they, he knows he's alive. And, and as soon as Joseph hears they've entered Goshen, he hops on Ferret's chariot and he can't wait but to go and, uh, and see his father. And it says when he saw him, he presented him and threw his arms around him and he wept for a very long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, I love this, I am ready to die now because I have seen your face and you are still alive. Literally, we see a, a type of resurrection here. Joseph thought to be dead. Now he's alive and the family is united. And in chapter 47, what Joseph does is he's like, well, I better go tell Pharaoh y'all have arrived. And so he brings five of his brothers to meet Pharaoh. And um, he kind of pre-warns them. He says, now, Egyptians don't think highly of shepherds. Uh, uh, So uh, you might just want to downplay that just a little bit and just let them know who you are. And sure enough, Pharaoh, uh, he, he meets Joseph's uh, brothers, and, um, and he has a conversation with them, and they tell him that they come from a long lineage of shepherds, all the way back as far as grandfather Abraham. And the brothers say, look, if possible, could we live here? We can't survive in our land, Canaan, because of the famine. And, and they say to, to Pharaoh, they said, listen, just be temporary situation. I mean, eventually, we hope to go back to the land. Now, again, here's where sovereignty comes into play because they're thinking this is just going to be temporary. But if you continue to read your Bible, you'll realize that now Jacob and his family will be there for 400 years. And by the way, they start from being incredibly blessed in Egypt to just in a couple of generations, they're all going to become slaves. And that is a part of God's purpose and God's plan. So Pharaoh, verse 5 of chapter 47, he says to Joseph, now that your father and your brothers have come to you, the land of Egypt is open before you. Settle your father and brothers in the best part of the land. They can live in the land of Goshen. If you know of any capable men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. And so Pharaoh offers them the best of his land. He even says, look, you guys are great shepherds. You can help take care of some of my animals as well. So Joseph brings his father, Jacob, and he presents him to Pharaoh. And what a meeting now of these two individuals. Here's the old patriarch, Jacob, now Israel. He represents the covenant promise of God. Here's Pharaoh the most important, influential, wealthiest, most powerful man in the known world. And these two people now are meeting. And and Moses writes, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh says to Jacob, how many years have you lived? To which Jacob is just going to share a bit of his testimony. He's just going to honestly say, uh, well, not I haven't lived as long as my father and my grandfather, but my life hasn't been that easy either. My pilgrimage has lasted 130 years. My, my years have been few and hard, and, and they have not reached the years of my ancestors during their pilgrimages. And so again, Jacob blesses Pharaoh, and then he just simply leaves. And I find it striking that this, this now, this righteous man who, who is, is willing to even bless Pharaoh and then not ask anything of him. Uh, it just has this meeting. So Joseph settles his father and his brothers in the land of Egypt. And now God uses Joseph, who had gone from being a slave and a prisoner 
to the, the steward of all of Egypt's wealth. And, and Joseph gives his family property in the best part of the land, the land of, the land of Ramses, uh, just as Pharaoh had commanded. And he provides them with food and, and goods and everything that they need. So, so God's covenant promise, I will be with you. I will protect you. I will make sure that you, you persevere. All of that is being now shown through the righteousness and the, and the obedience of, of Joseph. But, but ultimately, it was God in his sovereign plan working itself out that they would be saved from starvation and now living in Egypt. And, and Jacob, by this time in his life, he gets it. He recognizes that everything that's happened to him, good and bad, all fall under the sovereign hand of God. I was reflecting upon this the other day, and I was reminded of, of what Jeremiah said in Lamentations chapter 3. Listen to this. Again, this is, this is God's sovereignty at work. The Bible says, Do not both adversity and good come from the mouth of the Most High. Why should any living, living person complain? Any man, because of the punishment for his sins. And, and, and for many people, good coming from a sovereign God is easy to contemplate. That's an easy truth to swallow. But what about adversity? Can it be that a sovereign God would ordain diversity and difficulty in your life? What's the answer? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes. And, and we see that in the life of Jacob. We see that in the life of Joka, J Joseph. It's not necessarily that that's what they would have wanted for their lives. It was what God had planned for their lives. And they simply now are submitting themselves underneath God's plan. And it was necessary for their salvation because now they are living, living in the very best part of what the world had to offer. They're living in Goshen, in the land of Ramses, where it's still fertile and, and, and they can survive while even the rest of Egypt is suffering because of the drought and the famine. So the next section of, of this chapter, as the drought worsen, worsens in Egypt, now the Egyptians are all coming to Joseph. Because remember, Joseph had this dream, seven years of plenty, seven years of, of nothing. And, and so he's storing up grain and storing up grain, knowing that's the only way that, that the Egyptians will be able to survive. Well, now, as the drought worsens, because it's seven years of it, they start coming to Joseph and saying, we're out of food, we need grain. And so they bring all their silver, all the money that they have, and they lay it before Joseph, and they says, can we purchase grain? And Joseph says, of course. And so he gives them grain, he takes the money and gives it to Pharaoh. Well, that runs out in a year, and then they come to him again, and they say, now we're starving again. We don't have any money, we, we've got livestock. Can we sell our livestock to Pharaoh? Joseph says, sure, you take care of it, and Pharaoh will own it. And they said, okay. He gives them grain, and they survive for another year. And, and, and then the next year comes around, and, and that grain runs out, and they come to him again. They say, we're starving again. We don't have any money. We don't have any livestock. All we've got is ourselves and our land. Can, can we become Pharaoh's slave? Can, can Pharaoh own our land? Joseph says, Sure. And, 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 and so they make that agreement. He gives that all to Pharaoh. So verse 23, Joseph says to the people, understand today that I have acquired you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you. Sow it in the land at harvest. You are to give a fifth of it to Pharaoh and four fifths will be yours as seed for the field and as food for yourselves, your household, and your dependence. And so he says, look, at this is how this is going to work from now on. Uh, you will survive. We'll give you grain and seed, and, and you can use the seed for next year's planting, and the rest you can use to, to provide for your families. But 20% of everything that you take in will go to Pharaoh. 
and they said, yes, you've saved our lives, and, and we found favor with our Lord, and, and, and we're willing to do all of this. And so Joseph made it a law. It's still in effect today. So Moses is writing this many, many years later. So he says, man, this, this national tax is still happening in Egypt. A fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh outside of the priests who are tax exempt. And so Joseph incorporates this, this taxation, which reminds us nothing changes. There are still national taxes in place today, and we feel those. And, and as typical, as the government gets bigger, the common person gets poorer. But, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, and that's all I'm going to say about that. But in the law, uh, interestingly enough, the Lord will actually establish a sense of taxation in the law. It's called the tithe. And then they'll say a tenth or a tithe belongs to the Lord. And, and, and Moses would use this to provide for the Levitical priests and their families. Now, for us, we, we are under a new covenant. And, and in the new covenant, there still should be this regular and generous giving of God's people. But our giving today is called, we call it free will offerings or givings. And so we're not, we're not going to put you in a headlock and, and demand that you give, but we do desire that you give regularly and generously and sacrificially out of your love for God and out of your desire to just join us on mission. And so, you know, I, I do that. I, I, when I give of my tithes and offerings on a regular basis, I, I'm not doing it uh, because I have to but I do feel a sense of compulsion that I just, I just want to love the Lord and I want to serve the Lord. And I want to see how when, when I give of what uh, God has given me, how God takes care of me and my family. And he has proven to do that uh, the entire time that I have given. Now, Israel, now finally Jacob and all of his family, the, the, the little nation of Israel settles in Egypt in the region of Goshen, where everybody else is suffering, even in Egypt, they acquire property and they become very fruitful and numerous. And Jacob lives in Egypt for 17 more years. So now he's 147 years old, near the very end of his life. And he's now getting very close to death. And Moses writes, when the time approached for him to die, who does he call? But Joseph, and he has a favor to ask of Joseph. As a matter of fact, he has a, a vow that he needs Joseph to make to him. And he says to Joseph, now here's, get the picture. Here's Jacob, Israel. He's laying on his deathbed. He's struggling to move. His eyesight's nearly gone. He knows he doesn't have much longer in this life. And so he calls Joseph forward, and there's Joseph at the foot of the bed, and he says to Joseph, if I have found favor with you, put your right hand under my thigh and promise me that you will deal, deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. So he's asking Joseph, I need a favor of you. If, you, if you're going to be kind and faithful to me, and of course Joseph is going to say, yes, I will, Father. And so here's the request he has. Do not bury me bury me in Egypt. And not only had God told him that he would not be buried in Egypt, but buried with his ancestors in Canaan land, he wants to make sure. And so, so he, he says, Joseph, let's make this vow together. Put your hand under my thigh. I think the elders are going to start doing that, Pastor Chris. We'll, in our elders meetings, when we're making a serious commitment for the church, we're just going to, you'll start. You, you're the new elder. You'll Put your hand under my thigh and you'll vow. He's shaking his head. I don't understand. This is a very biblical thing I'm trying to explain to him here. Well, he wants Joseph to commit to what God had promised. He says, I want to rest with my ancestors. He says, so... So that when I rest with my ancestors, carry me away from Egypt and, and bury me in their burial place. And Joseph said, ah, sure, I'll do whatever you ask. And he's serious about it. He says, swear to me. And Joseph swore to him. And, and, and this is important because Jacob had this understanding. Egypt wasn't his home. He didn't care about all of the riches of Egypt. No, Canaan was his home. That's the promise. Even though he wouldn't see it with his eye, he knew that there was a land promised to him. 
And he wanted to be buried there along with his father, Isaac, and mother, Rebecca, his wife, Leah, his grandfather, Abraham's grandmother, Sarah. They belong in God's land, the promised land. And so they make this promise. And interestingly enough, at the end of verse 31, it says, then Israel bowed in thanks at the head of his bed. I want you to just get a picture of this very old man now who can hardly move. And he gets himself up on the edge of his bed and he kneels and he bows before Joseph. And you know why that's important, right? Because that's now finally the fulfillment of that other vision. You know, the brothers had bowed to Joseph and Joseph had, had dreamed that, but he also had dreamed not just his brothers, but his parents would be bowing. And so now here's old Jacob. and He bows in thanksgiving to Joseph, fulfilling the dream. And then verse 48, Joseph is told soon after, your father's weaker, meaning he's about to die. So he, he grabs his two sons, Manasseh and, and Ephraim, now I'm in chapter 48, because he wants to present his sons, whom Jacob had yet to meet before him. And Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, and, and Israel did everything he can to, to summon his strength. And so he sits up in bed and and Jacob says to Joseph, I love this because he basically is reiterating the covenant. He's just sort of retelling the story of, of what had happened in his life. Because again, remember, you've got Jacob who, he didn't begin well, but now he's ending well and by faith. And he's recognizing now that everything that's happened to him, having to, to leave his family, being abandoned, being deceived by his uncle, all the difficulties, having lost Joseph, thinking he was dead. He now recognizing that God had a plan in all of this. And so he says to Joseph, God Almighty, I love that, that's Al Shaddai, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me. He remembers meeting the Lord on that occasion, and he said, I will make you fruitful and numerous. I will make many nations come from you. Remember, not just his posterity, that includes you and I, by the way, because we also today are a part of spiritual Israel. Many nations will come from you, and I will give you this land as a permanent possession to your future descendants. Your two sons, now Jacob is going to claim Joseph's sons. And each son will become one of the tribes of Israel. Joseph will receive the birthright, the double blessing, and he will now have two tribes that belong to him. And, and so he says, your two sons now belong to me. Uh, the two sons born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you are mine, Ephraim and Manasseh. They belong to me just as Reuben and Simeon do. Now, any other child that, that, that is born after them, okay, they belong to you and, and to your family, but I'm claiming these two. And I love this. You, you've got Jacob near the end of his life, and he says, okay, my, my family is complete. These, Joseph, you, your two sons now are mine. I'm claiming them. I'm going to doubly bless you. And I know I recognize it. God has, God has, he's finished the task with me. He's finished the course with me. He understands God's sovereign plan. And Jacob persevered until the end. I, I love the Apostle Paul for so many reasons. And one is Paul, maybe more than any other New Testament figure, teaches us about perseverance. And Paul understood all of the difficult and bad things that happened to him, God had a plan for them. And in the very end of Paul's life, now Paul is rotting in a Roman dungeon, awaiting his execution. And he writes his second letter to Timothy. He's not bemoaning. He, he's not grieving. He's writing this letter rejoicing that he's almost finished the race. And he says to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
And now there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day, not only to me, but to all those who loved his appearing. That includes you, my friends. We run the race, we run the race, we run the race. And by God's grace and perseverance, we will fight the good fight. We will finish the course. But but it's not because we're trying to, to gain anything in this life. Everything that we run the race for, that we fight the fight for, is being reserved for us in heaven. And now, old Israel, he, he lays on, eyes on, on Joseph's sons. And, and he says, bring them to me, and I'm, I'm going to bless them. He could hardly see them because he was nearly blind. And, and, and Joseph, he, he does that, and he has his sons bow before their grandfather. Again, remember, Joseph could have been totally bitter. All that had happened to him, but no. He, he understands the sovereignty of God like so few have and still do. He understands it, and he submits his life to it. Now he's submitting his sons. He's saying, okay, you want my sons? They're yours. They're yours. And Joseph took them both. And so what's interesting is, so Joseph, he, he puts the, the younger Ephraim down on Jacob's left side, and he puts Manasseh, the older, down on Jacob's right side because he wants Jacob with his right hand to place him on the head of Manasseh and left hand on Ephraim and bless them. And as Jacob is getting ready to bless them, he goes like this. And he puts the right hand of blessing on the younger and the left hand of blessing on the older, so reminiscent and parallel to what happened to Jacob. Remember when he received the blessing from his father Isaac as the younger instead of Esau, the older? And, and he blessed Joseph and he says, I love this, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who, my shepherd, who, who has been my shepherd uh, all my life to this day, the very angel that, that I met who redeemed me from all harm, that same God, he said, bless these boys and may they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow to be numerous within the land. And he gives them the same covenant blessing that God had given to Abraham is now just being passed on in perpetuity. Now, Joseph, it says when he saw this, he was like, Dad, no, you, 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 you've got this wrong. you got to do it this way. And, and Jacob says to Joseph, no, son, he goes, I got it right. I got it right. He, 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 says, he says, I know my son, verse 19. And he says, look, Manasseh, also will become a great tribe. He'll be great. Nevertheless, the younger will be greater than he. That's God's sovereignty. You never know. Yes, culture would say the, the older gets the, the greater portion of the inheritance and the younger gets the, yes, I get that. But you just don't know what God's plan is. And here, God's plan, Ephraim would be greater. Manasseh still would be blessed, but less. But ultimately, he says to Joseph, look, you're going to get the double portion of my inheritance. And we'll see that in the final chapter, but you're going to get the double blessing. And one day it will be said of you, if you're going to bless somebody, the statement will be, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Both will become mighty tribes of Israel. And now, Jacob as he concludes this and as he's so near his death, he says, look, I'm about to die. But God will be with you, Joseph. He's talking to Joseph. And eventually he will bring you back to the land of the fathers. Again, it would be Joseph's bones that would be brought back. It wouldn't be his physical body because God was going to keep them in Egypt for a very, very long time. Now, one, one last blessing Verse 22, he says to Joseph, he says, listen, over and above what I'm going to give to your brothers, he says, there's one particular hilltop I want you to have, Joseph. I want you to have it. He said, I love you so much. 
I, I fought for this little hilltop. <laughs> I bled for it. I beat up some Amorites to get it, and I, I want you to have it. I want that to be yours, that, that little hilltop. Joseph wouldn't see it in his life. He and his family would die in Egypt. But that, that doesn't mean that God's promises failed, right? Because eventually, through Moses and then Joshua, they would reclaim that land and conquer it. It's not about this life. Because in this life, all the way to the point where you breathe your last, you haven't finished yet. Even your physical death in this life, you're not done. No, listen, you're done when you get to heaven. You're done when you open your eyes in paradise. You're completed when finally the Lord claims you as his own. I was thinking about my father this week. And my father loved the Lord. In the late 70s, he experienced the Great Recession. Um, living in Michigan, it was very difficult. Lots of jobs were lost. My dad lost his job. His company went bankrupt. And because he had all of his pension and retirement in the company, my dad lost everything. So he's in his 50s, and literally he lost everything in terms of earthly possessions that he had. And, and my dad, his three sons, my dad didn't leave us any earthly inheritance. And that doesn't matter a thing to us. Because you see, my dad, he left us with something so much more valuable than a home or some land. My dad loved the Lord. And my dad made me go to church every Sunday. And there were a lot of Sundays I didn't want to go. And my dad made me go to Sunday school every week. And there were some Sundays I didn't want to go. But you know, there was a Sunday when it took with me. God had been working on my heart. As an older child, a, a young adolescent, I finally realized that I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. And it was because of the faithfulness of my dad and his love for the Lord that I realized that I also have an opportunity to love the Lord in the same way. And I, and I gave my life to the Lord. And even though my dad passed away in poverty as a pilgrim on this earth, he knew that there was a better place waiting for him. And so he fought the good fight and he finished the race. And my dad loved to sing the old hymns. There was a really corny hymn my dad used to love to sing. And I just, every time he sung, I thought, Dad, that's such a corny hymn. But now that I'm almost to the age of my dad when he passed away, I'm beginning to understand why it was that my dad longed for heaven so much. I mean, he really did. My dad loved heaven and he longed for it. He used to sing this old hymn. He said, I, I, it goes like this, I'm satisfied with, with just a cottage below, a little silver, not much gold. But in that city where the ransom will shine, I'll have a gold mansion that's silver lined. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land. Well, I'll never grow old. And someday yonder, we will never more wander, but we'll walk the streets of purest gold. He understood doesn't matter. Whatever God sovereignly has planned for this life, that's going to happen. You could lose everything, but you could gain everything as well. And just as Jacob and, and Joseph figured this out, my friends, I want you to know more important that Jesus came to us and he is the greater Jacob. He's the greater Joseph. 
Jesus was sent not from Canaan to Egypt. Jesus was sent from heaven down to this wicked, old, sinful, and dusty earth. And he came here to die on a cross to ransom us from our sins. And Jesus offers you nothing in this life except your love and your obedience. He offers you everything in the next. Because when he begins a good work in you, he promises to complete it. And just as Jacob shed his blood in order to win that little hilltop for his son Joseph, I'm telling you that Jesus shed his blood on a cross that you might win heaven. And on this very moment, while we're worshiping in this church, he's preparing a place for you. Do you believe that? Do you? Well, then live for him. Persevere. Submit yourself to his sovereign plan, regardless of what that is. And one day, yonder, you'll stop all this wandering and you'll walk those streets with him in purest gold. Let's pray. Father, your salvation guarantees our perseverance. It will allow us to fight the good fight. And one day we will be completed. Father, it's not, not how we begin, it's how we end. And so would you please, Father, finish us. Pray for my sister who came here earlier. Pray for her, bless her. Pray for anyone who, who's contemplating Christianity and may not know you, that they would consider how imperative it is to know that their sins have been forgiven, that they would place saving faith in Jesus. And for us, Father, sovereignty, not only difficult to understand, it's really difficult to live out. Help us by your spirit. Help us to live our lives trusting in your good and perfect plan for our lives and for your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.